0: We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 57-80. through 80. And so uh, please turn to your Bibles there as Cyrus comes up to read for us. And uh, please stand as we give attention to God's Word. Uh, God's Word for God's people.
1: Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her, and on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard him laid them on their hearts, saying, What then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a born of salvation for us. And in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to be remembered, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways,
0: Please pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, not only do we thank You for Your Word, but we thank You for this day. This is the day that You have made, and Lord, we rejoice and are be glad in it. We can rejoice and be glad because as those of old look forward to You coming, we look back. We look back and we know that You were born of a virgin. You laid in a manger. You grew up to be a man. You lived the perfect life in our place. You died on the cross. You rose again three days later. You sit at the right hand of God and You orchestrate all things together for Your will, for Your glory, and for our joy. And Lord, whether we find ourselves in a valley or we find ourselves on green pastures, we know that uh, this time, in living in the Genesis 3 world, You are taking us to the Revelation 20 world where there is no suffering, there is no sin. There will be nothing but joy and worship. And until that time, Lord, You have us here on this earth for a reason and a purpose, and that is to spread your fame uh, through our lives, through our words, through our deeds, namely through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray, amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Ooh. Well, good. <clears throat> How many of you have flown in the airplane? Go ahead and raise your hand. Alright, the majority of us. How many of you guys have flown more than once in an airplane? Go ahead and raise your hand. Alright, the majority of us. How many of you, your very first time, you sat on the airplane when that stewardess stood up and said, may I please have your attention? How many of you were dialed in and focused on what she was about to say? Alright, a little bit. I was going to say, most time, my first time, I flown probably hundreds of times, my first time, I was dialed in. I was dialed into what she had to say. But then after the second or third time, I kind of, that time of the flight kind of tuned her out, right? My first flight was probably back in 1979, 1980, uh, when I was about, you know, nine or 10 years old, way back in the 20th century, you know, my first flight. And, uh, uh, not much has changed in that announcement except for what? Uh, please turn your, you know, phones on airplane mode and please, you know, close your computer tab. But I, other than that, not much has changed. But the message that that stewardess has, It's very important because it could very well save your life if something went wrong, right? And yet we still tune it out. And and sometimes I fear when we come to the Advent season, the Christmas season, we can treat the story of Christmas like we treat the stewardess, right? We've heard it before. Uh, We know the story. We got it. It becomes so familiar with us that we're here, but we're not here. We're not listening to what uh, we have to say this morning. And so my, my encouragement, my challenge to you and to me, is this Advent season, as we continue to approach Christ and Christmas, that we, foot, we wouldn't fall into this trap. Uh, we wouldn't fall into this mindset. Uh, we wouldn't tune out the message of Luke to us this morning, but that we'd focus on it. Because this is a miraculous, amazing, the most wonderful news in all the world that has ever been declared. That God would come down from heaven in the form of a baby and become man and to live the perfect life in our place and die on the cross and raise again. There is nothing more miraculous than the story of redemption. That God has visited us, He has redeemed us, and He has saved us from our sin. Knowing that, we can't just, we just can't, can't just tuck that away, and it cannot become stale to us. It should never become stale. If this is true, and it is, and if you've experienced the reality of the first coming of Christ, then every time you hear the story, you should, you should shout or sing with praise, even out loud or in your heart or in your mind. Praise the Lord every day. And again, not let it get stale. Thomas Watson, one of my favorite Puritans, this is how he described the first advent of of, of God becoming flesh, what we call the incarnation. He said this, Jesus became poor so that He might make us rich. He was born of a virgin so that we might be born of God. He laid in a manger so that we may lay in paradise. He came down from heaven to bring us back to heaven. That the eternal should be born. That he who thunders in the heavens should cry in the cradle. That he who was born of a woman, the woman he himself made. This is a miraculous event that we are studying and looking at. That we uh, highlight every year. It's so amazing that when Jesus was born on the first Christmas, all of heaven showed up to celebrate. We're going to look at this on Christmas Eve in Luke two thirteen. It says this, and suddenly with the angels, a multitude of heavenly hosts came praising God. So if all heaven shows up at his birth, I think it's pretty important for us that this story shouldn't get stale, but should continue to produce in us and inspire us in the wonderful event of our Lord and Savior. So here this morning, let's not tune out, but let's tune in. Let's not check out, but check in to the praise of Zechariah's song this morning. And so that brings us to the first verse in chapter 1, verse 57 through 66. We see this, we, we praise the Lord that He uses ordinary people in His plan of salvation. We praise the Lord because we see that He uses ordinary people in the plan of His salvation. If we were to give a a summary of Luke chapter 1, it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible. It's probably the longest chapter in the New Testament. We would summarize it like this. There were two angelic announcements, two miraculous pregnancies given through two ordinary families. That could be a summary of chapter 1 that we see that the Lord chooses not families of prominence or famous people. He could have back then chose uh, the high priest Caiaphas and his daughter. Everyone would have knew who Caiaphas was in the house of Israel. He was the high priest. He was the man. That's what everyone looked to to God. But instead, he chose this one no-name priest out of of 18,000 named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And they were old and they were barren. And then he chose this ordinary teenage couple out of Nazareth. Again, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He chooses ordinary people for His plan of salvation. 1 Corinthians 26 is one of my life verses and one of my favorite verses. You guys know it says this, for consider your calling that not many of you were wise according to the world. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you came from noble birth, but God did what? He chose the foolish. He chose the ordinary to confine the wise. The Lord uses ordinary people back then and He uses ordinary people today to bring about His plan of salvation. And so with that background, we look to summarize Zachariah and Elizabeth stories to understand Zachariah's song, which we're looking at today. We have to look back quickly and look at Luke chapter one, verses five through 25 to see why he actually breaks out in song and sings. Uh, we look back in verse five, and you just turn your page, your Bible back one page and we see that we're introduced to this couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they're a holy couple. They're a righteous couple they love one another and they love the Lord. But in verse seven, it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. No doubt when they first got married, they were probably teenagers. And they had this great you know, view of what their life was going to be. We're going we're to get married. We're going to have lots of kids. And our legacy is going to go on, not only for our family name, but also for the Lord. And here we find them past childbearing years with no children. No children. No children. And and, and back then, that was a devastating blow to a family. Because if you look at Luke 1.25, it says this is a reproach (coughs) or a disgrace that would be on them. On Zechariah, but primarily on Elizabeth. But we also noticed when we went through this passage that it didn't stop them from loving and serving the Lord. They didn't walk in bitterness, but they still walked in worship, understanding that the Lord was sovereign and in control and orchestrating their lives for their joy. And they were still devoted to serve the Lord, even in the midst and through difficult circumstances. Verse 11, we see that Zechariah was serving in the temple. Again, he got, he got chosen to serve in the temple. This was a great honor. They cast lots. His name was picked uh, by the Lord. And he's in there doing um, the serving, the working on the temple in the holy place. He's the only one in there, or should be the only one in there, and then all of a sudden, he's met by a voice. And it's the angel Gabriel. Gabriel's the personal message of God. He shows up. He scares Zechariah to death. And Zachariah's freaking out and and Gabriel says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And that was a stunner to John. You see... uh, Uh, Stunner to uh, Zechariah. Zechariah was in the temple. And back then, again, the Holy of Holies is where God's presence was. There was a veil, and then there was the holy place. And that's where Zechariah was. He was lighting the incense in the holy place. This veil on the other side was as close as any Israelite could get to the presence of God except for the high priest once a year. That's where Zechariah was. And when you're in the presence of God, or that close, you take advantage of that and you... Ask him for your greatest desire and your greatest need. And he offers a prayer that he'd be a father. And Gabriel says, your prayer has been answered. And in verse 15, it says, your child is not going to give you a child, but he's going to be great. And many are going to know him. He's going to actually be the one who's going to pave the way for the Lord. The one that was prophesied in Isaiah 40 and Micah chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4. He is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. This news just freaks Zechariah out. Instead of believing, he says he doubted. He responded not in faith, but he responded in doubt. And because of that, verse 18, Gabriel shows him a sign that this will come to pass by I'm going to make you mute. I'm going to tie your tongue. Now, with that background, now we fast forward nine months and eight days to verse 57. Now, John has been born. It's now the eighth day. It's time for him, uh, ritually in the Jewish uh, time, is to, to be circumcised and give the, the boy his name. So it's a, it's a, it's a bittersweet uh, day for John, as you can imagine, right? Right. He gets his name and loses a little skin in the bin. Uh, and us men, we can, we can relate to that. Um, but at this naming, there's a big block party. There's a massive celebration because this is, again, a huge blessing. This is a miracle. They recognize it. They understand that, uh, that Zachariah and Elizabeth, they've been waiting for this. They're past the age and God has met them with a vision. And typically in this culture, you would name your child after someone in your family line, after a family member. But we see in verse 59 that when the the community comes around elizabeth they say surely you're going to name this baby zachariah jr right i mean because that's what you do and elizabeth responds and says no we're not going to name him that we're going to name him john we see in verse 61 we see like john why john there's no one in your family lineage named john so why would you name him john why john and after some back and forth, we see in verse 62 that they started to make signs to the father, Zechariah. Because maybe, you know, Elizabeth just went rogue and taking advantage of her husband who can't speak. And maybe she's, she wants to name him what she wants to name him. And so they say they turn to Zechariah. And it says in verse 63, after apparently a game of charades breaks out, right? Making signs to his father. Zechariah, verse 63, it says, he asked for his iPad. Or his writing tablet back then. This is the first prototype. Um, and he wrote, and look what he wrote. It's very, very particular. His name is John. Not his name shall be John, or we think we're going to call him John. No, God gave him his name through Gabriel when Zechariah was in the temple. And, and he says, your son shall be named, Gabriel said, your son shall be named John. So, it's already named. He's already been named. His name is John. And it says that at that time, they all wondered. Now why did they all wonder? Was it because a husband and wife finally agreed on something, right? Is that why they wondered? No, they wondered because verse 64, immediately, Zachariah's tongue was loose and he could speak. Immediately, he could begin To talk. And what comes out of his mouth is blessing. You see, for nine months, he's been unable, unable to speak. He was doubting when he first heard the message. Now he's walking by faith. He believes the message that he received from Gabriel. And now he is responding by faith. No, his name is John. Just as Gabriel commanded and this is great news. And the, the news of John spread throughout the community. Not only did Elizabeth and Zachariah have this miraculous child, which was, which was glorious enough for, for news to spread. Amazing enough for news to spread all over Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. This, this picture of John. Uh, this child that had been praying for decades. But more importantly, that this child would be the forerunner. Uh, the one that would announce the Messiah coming. The fulfillment of Isaiah 40 and again Malachi 3 and 4. The forerunner pointing everyone to Jesus the Messiah. And this boy was his boy. Zachariah's boy. So that's why he breaks out in song. It's with this background. So let's move to point two. We praise the Lord for the plan of salvation. We praise the Lord for the plan of salvation. Look at verse 67, and then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. Notice just like Elizabeth, just like John, the Holy Spirit is at the forefront. He is the one leading, guiding, and directing these events. He is intimately involved, just like he was back in creation. In John 1 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And, and John, the way he starts that, he points us back to the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, this new creation that's happening. And, and this is the way that, that Luke says, Hey, this new creation of redemption is upon us, by stating the Holy Spirit is there, just like the Holy Spirit was there back in Genesis 1 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit is, is upon Zachariah's field. He's guided, he's directed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the conductor, the maestro of this song that Zechariah is about to sing. And this is the second Christmas song. We looked at the first Christmas song last week. Uh, Rich did a great job with Mary's song, the Magnificat And this one is known as the Benedictus because it begins with blessing. So this is the second song. Now, how many of you guys have like a top ten favorite Christmas songs? Go ahead and raise your hand. I got a top ten Christmas list. Is this one in there? Probably not, right? But it should be because this is one, the second one that declares the coming and the glory of the one who's going to bring us to Jesus, namely through John the Baptist. He's the pointer. So let's listen to his song together this morning. He opens up, verse 68, again with blessed. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Why? Look at it. For three reasons. Because He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. He's praising the Lord. He's blessing the Lord. He's, he's singing out to the Lord because the Lord has visited. Notice, past tense. This hasn't happened yet. But this is how sure the Lord's promises are. That He speaks about it in the past tense. That the Lord has visited us. That He's redeemed us. Because of that, He has saved us. This is the one they've been longing for For. For centuries, since Genesis chapter 3, since sin entered the world, they've been waiting for this serpent crusher. They've been waiting for this Messiah, and now He has come. Jesus would be born. That's the idea of visited us as a human in flesh. God become flesh as a baby. He would grow up to live a perfect life. He would die on the cross, and on the third day, He would secure our redemption. Redemption means to to buy back at a cost or a price. And because of that, Jesus has fulfilled that, is visiting us and redeemed us. He is now our Savior. And notice what kind of Savior. He's a strong Savior. That little phrase, raised up a horn of salvation. The horn of salvation was that of, a, of an animal back there with horns. That was this, the, the, the animal's power, its strength. And so the horn represents the strength of an animal. Here it represents the strength of Jesus. Jesus had, was, yes, a humble servant, but he was also a strong savior. He had to battle sin and Satan. He had to overcome temptation in our place. And then he had to have the fortitude to go to the cross, be nailed to the cross. First, before that, it survived the beatings, the whippings, the lashings, the shame, humility, then being nailed to the cross to die, to be buried and raised three days later. He is a strong savior. And all three must be present. Uh, with, you, you cannot have a Savior if you don't have divine visitation. And if you don't have divine visitation, there would be no redemption. If there's no redemption, then there's no salvation. This is why Zechariah is singing. Because the Messiah fulfills all three. And there's no, this plan, what he's singing about is no accident. It's been, it's been planned since the beginning. Look at this real quick. This visitation, this redemption, this salvation has been from the house of David, verse 69. From the holy prophets going backwards from David, verse 70, to the covenants, think about Moses in verse 72, to Abraham, verse 73. This has been God's plan, His number one plan all along. This is His playbook, His number one plan to to save the Messiah through the visitation, redemption, and salvation. And what it does is it, it proves that the Old Testament was God's Word and pointed us to Jesus. And to John. That all of God's promises are being fulfilled in this moment. In Luke chapter 1. It's being fulfilled from Genesis, Exodus, Isaiah, Daniel, Zephaniah, Malachi. They're all coming to pass. And what is the message? That they would be saved. That humanity would be saved from their enemies and from the hands who hate us. Verse 71 and 74. Now, for the people back then, they were thinking more of a physical salvation from the oppression of Rome, but we see in 77 that the first coming of Christ, the first advent, was not to physically save them, but spiritually, verse 77, it says, the reason why to give knowledge of salvation to His people for the forgiveness of their sin. That's why he's come the first time. To save people from their sin. The, The greater enemy than Rome. Satan. And our personal sin. And the second time Jesus comes, though, the second advent, which we're looking forward to, it's not a spiritual one, it's a physical salvation. He will come back and set up the new heavens and the new earth here on earth. He will do away with sin, suffering, and Satan. So, all this is why Zechariah is singing. He's singing a song of redemption, of salvation, of freedom. I don't know about you, but I love watching those uh, little videos of like parents making miraculous salvation of like their babies or toddlers. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? The, the, like the dad's pushing the little little toddler on the swing and he's getting some height. And, you know, all of a sudden the, the baby comes back or the toddler comes back and, and lets go and starts to fly off backwards. And the dad just like by his pinky and his thumb, I mean, his, yeah, his pinky, right? And his thumb catches him by the little foot and saves the kiddo. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I've had a couple of those miraculous salvations as a dad, but it hasn't been caught on video. It would be kind of funny. There are times where I'd be carrying, it's probably happened to all of our me and all my kids. We're walking down the stairs and we kind of have the kind of the hardwood stairs, not the carpet, right? So I got my kids and I'm walking down the stairs and all of a sudden I... You guys know what I'm saying? I hit one of those stairs, and next thing you know, my feet are going up, and I'm holding the kiddo, right? And, and what do I do? What you guys do, you just hold the kid straight up as you, like, psh, 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 are, are bouncing off the stairs and the wall. Any other dads with me? Go ahead and raise your hands. No shame. Look, I'm a bad, I, 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 I can ball. But at those moments, and then Rita comes in, like, what are you doing, Aaron? I'm like, saving my kid, you know? <laughs> And then the kids are like, do it again, do it again, do it again. And I'm like, I can't even move, you know. Well, that's a funny way of a miraculous salvation in a a tongue-in-cheek way, but the the salvation we receive from God is so much greater, so much more miraculous that God visited us. He paid the price with His, His body, His blood to redeem us. That's why He's our Savior this is what Zechariah is singing about. And not only can we just listen, but we can also join in with Zechariah and sing about this visitation, redemption, and salvation because we have experienced it. So this week, this week, let me challenge you to break out in song. Break out in a song just like Zechariah did. Because the Lord has visited us, redeemed us, and saved us. And you can sing this song if this is your experience. So the question is, do you know know this experience? Is this your song as well? That you know this Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So sing this weekend. This week. Maybe you sing by yourself. Maybe sing with family, with friends, your life group. Come on Christmas Eve and sing together with the community of faith. Sing in the car. Sing in the shower. Sing on the, sing on the walk. Heck, go full on, you know, song of uh, sound of music. Go full sound of music. Go up to the mountains and just shout to the Lord, right? Just let it rip. Let it sing. Let the message of Zechariah's song... Redemption, the plan of salvation, move your soul, move your heart and sing thankfulness. Moves us to our third and final point. We praise the Lord for the prophet John pointing us to the person Jesus as our salvation. Verses 76 through 80. Again, there's been 400 years of silence. The Lord has not spoken. And now all of a sudden with these two angelic announcements about John and Jesus, Um, God is on the move. Redemption is becoming tangible and not just something that's out there. It's being fulfilled. And sometimes John gets lost in the Christmas story, doesn't he? And we see that Luke, this is probably the greatest detailed version of what took place in the beginning, and Luke has much to say about John, highlights John. John is very important. He's vital. Jesus is the star by... Absolutely. No mistake in that. John's the best supporting actor. John and Jesus go together. John, again, highlights Jesus. We talked about it in the past. We talked about like at a a baseball game where you go to the Rockies game and you hear the announcer say, now batting, and he announces the name. The attention isn't on the announcer, it's the one who's coming to the plate. Right? Um, The President of the United States. Again, the, the announcer is not, not the main focus. The president is, and this is what John is. John is the one who literally connects the promise of the Messiah in the Old Testament to its fulfillment in the New Testament. He is the unique and massively important individual for you and for me. He is the one again that connects... The promise of the Old Testament Messiah to the New Testament Messiah. Luke one seventy six, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways. That's a fulfillment of Isaiah 40. To then John one twenty nine. Behold, John says, as Jesus is coming, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let's not, let's not forget about the importance of John. Because John ties us to the Old Testament. He's the last Old Testament prophet to point us to the Messiah. So in our Christmas decorations this week, I know we're sure we all probably... Who has a nativity scene? Go ahead and raise your hand. Who has a nativity scene? We probably all have a nativity scene, right? We got the animals. We got the angel. We got the stars. Some of us got the kings in there. You need to take the kings out because they don't come until two years later. So we want to be biblical here. <clears throat> And of course, we got Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But this week, leading up to Christmas, even though we're looking back, why don't you go ahead and put out some honey? You know, go ahead and put out some fake locusts. If you can find some real ones, have them flying around your house, that'd be great. And have a swatch of camel's hair. And just be reminded of John pointing us to Jesus. He plays a major role. And again, the reason why he comes is verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sin. Now we're looking at Zechariah's song and you think in these 12 verses starting from verse 60, um, 67 to 80, you think the majority of his song would be about his son John, right? I mean, he's a proud father. But there's only two verses dedicated to John. The rest of them are dedicated to Jesus. Because again, Jesus is the star of the show, and he says in verse 78, here's the motive behind sending Jesus, because of the tender mercy of our God, the tender mercy that we, because of that, we receive light and peace. What, what, what's the motive of God sending us Jesus, the Messiah? Well, according to Luke, the motive for this Christmas season is mercy. Is God's mercy for you and for me? I love what Spurgeon says about mercy in the Lord. He says this He says, You never have to drag mercy out of Christ as money from a miser. Jesus gives out mercy in abundance. So true. This is what Luke is highlighting the mercy of God. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. That's what mercy is. It's not getting what we deserve. We deserve death. We get life through Jesus. We deserve to be left in the darkness, but Jesus brings us to the light. And He gives this beautiful picture that the, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. I love how Luke says it. It brings us to the light. We deserve unrest. We deserve chaos. And Jesus brings us peace. He he, he brings us what we don't deserve. We get what we don't deserve. We get mercy. and, and, And notice what kind of mercy. It's just not mercy, but what kind of mercy is it? What does Luke say? What kind of mercy is it? It's a tender mercy. It's a tender. What does that mean? That means that God feels this mercy in His very being. He looks upon you and me and apart from him, he sees our situation, that we're in darkness, that we're dead. We have no hope. And he feels that in him and it moves him to show us mercy. And so if this message moves God's heart. How much more should it move our heart? It's a tender mercy. It's a tender mercy. So again, here's another application point for us this morning. Do you know this mercy? Do you know this tender mercy? Uh, Have your eyes been opened to the light? Do you know this peace this morning? Are you walking in the light and the peace of Jesus? If not, this is very important. If not, then Luke says you're in darkness right now with no hope. That, that, that's your standing right now. Luke says you're in darkness with no hope. And again, Luke is empowered by the Spirit. So this is God speaking to you directly right now. You're in darkness with no hope. But this is Christmas. This is the good news of Christmas. Is you don't have to stay there. He's calling you this morning to walk in the light. He's calling you this morning for peace and to give you peace. He's calling you this morning by His tender mercy. Come to Him. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus and what He has done. The one John is pointing to. And you're going to have peace. You're going to have hope. Your eyes are going to be open. The chaos in your heart is going to be squashed and you're going to have peace. So that is you this morning. Come to the light. Receive the tender mercy of Jesus. Now many of us in this room have done that by God's grace. We've received the gift of salvation. So let me encourage you more this week. Not only do you personally, you own it and you sing. So we're going to have a bunch of singers out there praising the Lord for His visitation, redemption, and salvation. But it's not just meant to be kept in in our little... In our little world, it's, it's meant to be given away. And so give it away this week. Follow in the footsteps of John. John's whole mission and life was what? To point people to Jesus. That's your job. That's my job. We are now the forerunners. We pick up that mantle. And we take it to those who don't know Jesus. Our friends, our family members, our co-workers, Those we go to school with. And now we are little Johns to go give them, point people to the true Savior and the tender mercy that's found in Jesus Christ. So who is that family member right now or friend sitting in darkness who needs the merciful gift of Christmas through the Gospel? Be the forerunner. Be the pointer. Be the one that God uses to bring others to saving faith and to experience the tender mercy of God. This is why Jesus has come. This is why John has come. John has come to be the pointer to Jesus. To Jesus who was born. He was born to die, to be raised from the dead so that we could be saved. Jesus, He he would lay in the manger so that we could lay in paradise. He came down from heaven so He could bring us to heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, this message. Thank You for, again, John pointing us to Jesus. It's an incredible story. It's a miraculous story. It's a story of Your tender mercy for all in this room. All who have come before us and all who come after us. So Lord, I pray that this morning that we would as we walk out those doors, that we would sing of the visitation and the redemption and the salvation that we have in Jesus and that we would share it to those who don't in our circles of influence this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.